You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. So we've been going through this series on Ephesians, and I'm enjoying it. I feel like every week, like, I learn something. And so every week, I hope you learn something, and we kind of get to share new stuff together. Uh, But we talked about Paul was given this revelation. And the revelation Paul was given was that through the, the, um, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, you can have eternal life. And that Jesus, this Jesus who was walking around, that he really truly was the Messiah that had been promised to, to, the, to the Jewish people for so many years. And the other revelation Paul had was that, that Gentiles and Jews, by the way, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Good job. You love it when things actually stick. And so, like, the Jews and Gentiles, through the life, death, and resurrection, that we'd actually become one people, one nation together. And there was no Jew or Gentile anymore. There was no slave or free. There was no male or free. We were all just one humanity. And this new humanity has power over the powers that want to divide. Man, I got home yesterday. I made a mistake. Uh, we had a we took a vacation to Florida. And when I got home, I was tired. And so I just kind of vegged out on social media. Don't judge. You all do it. And, uh, I got on the Facebook, which is always a bad idea, and all I saw was division again. Like all these things that want to divide the church and divide people, and there's so many things that want to divide, but through this mystery of the death and resurrection of Christ, we actually have power over the powers that want to divide. And so, man, it's, just, it's been cool learning new stuff. And basically, today we're kind of turning a corner in our, in our Ephesians study. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul has sort of gone over what you should believe. Uh, what we in the church might call doctrine, which is like, what are, what are the core theological things? What are the basic things you believe? And Paul's statement is that, that if, if we share basic theology, like core essential theology that revolves around the life and death of Jesus, that, that we can be unified in that. And so Paul's been talking about that. And we sort of live in a world right now, and I saw some of it on Facebook again yesterday, where people act like what you believe doesn't matter. You can believe anything you want to believe and you're still going to be all right. But you and I inherently know that what you believe affects how you live, doesn't it? And what you believe about a restaurant probably affects what restaurants you go to. What you believe about a pilot probably affects whether or not you get in his plane. What you believe about something affects your behavior. And so to say that belief doesn't matter, that's poppycock, right? I'm the only one who still uses that word, but I'm going to bring it back. Like, it's nonsense. And so to, to believe, to, to behave a certain way, you can't have right living if you don't have right thinking, right? Some of you know this saying, I learned it, stinking thinking, stinking living, right? And so what you believe, it matters. And so today Paul's going to try to turn the corner, and he's going to try to show us that, that not only what you believe matters, but what you actually do with what you believe matters. He's going to show us how to walk it out. And Paul is going to imagine for us what the church would look like if they truly walked out these things we claim to believe. So if you have your Bible today, it's Ephesians. We're going to be Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start with Ephesians 4.1, and it says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then. If he says then, if, if, if the first sentence of a chapter says then, as a prisoner of the Lord, then, what should you do first? Read what came before it. Exactly right. I might start doing ventriloquism. Y'all let me tell you something I thought about ventriloquists. Watch this. Hello, everybody. I think with 45 minutes, I could get good at that. I just, it really didn't, yeah. All right, so check this out. Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. The verse I want to look at, the part of that is the part that says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Have y'all ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Anybody seen that one? There is a gorgeous scene at the end of that movie where, uh, where he comes to this graveyard, right? He's at like a, a veteran's cemetery. And he sort of looks at the tombstone and he begins to think back over what everyone did for him. He begins to think back over all the things he received that got him to where he was. All the things that had happened in his life that had allowed him to be where he was today. And so he, as he's thinking about these things, he's thinking, did I live a life worthy of my calling? Did I live a life worthy of the sacrifice that all these people made for me? He even turns to his wife and says, honey, tell me I was a good man. Tell me I was a good man. He wants to know if he lived a life worthy of the sacrifice. Guys, Paul wants us to remember that grace was given to all of us. Did we do anything with it? Did we live a life worthy of the grace we had received, or did we simply take, receive, and do nothing with it? Because for Paul, there's not much to that. We're called to be Christ ambassadors. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Bearing with one another in love. Raise your hand if you like people you don't like. Okay, that's fair. Raise your hand if you like to be with people you don't like. Nobody. You know how I know? You all signed up for tables with people you liked. Right? This is very hard. Bearing with one another in love, I think what it means, not just people you like. That didn't take it. It's not hard to bear with someone you like. Are you willing to bear with someone you don't like? And so these words like humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, these are the marks that should be present on believers for the world to see. Remember, Christ had marks that the world could see. Maybe there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes up to Thomas and, and Jesus says, you know, I'm Jesus. And Thomas is like, I'm not sure about it. And Jesus is like, what? Like, I just rose from, what else does it take? But Jesus looks at Thomas and says, you see the marks? See the marks in my hand? There were visible marks on Christ. There should be visible marks on us. Humility and patience and loving people we don't like. Verb loving them, not, not noun loving them, not standing a mile away and thinking about it, but loving them in a way that's visible to the world. And then it says, this is, this is so cool right here. Watch this, guys. There is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. All right, I want you guys to do me a favor right here. I want you to count the number of times he uses the word one in this paragraph. And when you know it, just shout it out. Audience participation time. It's, it's cool. Count it. And when you know it, shout it out. Seven. Hmm. Seven. <laughs> Definitely. Seven. Now, do y'all think, think it's ironic that he's using the word one seven times? Don't, don't you kind of see that number recur every now and then in the Bible, the number seven? See, and then Paul's a Hebrew. He's a Jewish man. And in his culture at the time, the number seven was a word used to mean complete or full. So when he talks about there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to, to the hope, one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. He's using the number seven because seven means mature and complete. And what he's saying is we are called to a unity that is complete. 
a mysterious unity that makes no sense to the world. And we live as one body and one people and one God. And when we truly live out this unity, it is so amazing and so miraculous and so mysterious that we actually become the manifestation of Christ for the world to see. It's perfect unity. And we live out this perfect unity. The world actually sees God in us. So how do we do it? Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says when he ascended on the high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave, remember the word grace means gift. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So how do we, how do we live out this supernatural unity? God has given us all gifts. Now, in this part in Ephesians, he's talking about pastors and teachers and evangelists and all these things. But if you go to Corinthians, Paul's got a whole list of gifts. And if you are in Christ, then you have been given a measure of grace, not just grace that saved your life, but a measure of grace, a gifting. You have some ability, some way to benefit the kingdom. And the grace isn't for your glory, and it's not for your fame, and it's not for your honor. The grace is so that we can work together for the goodness of the kingdom, to prepare one another. For it says it, the apostles gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service. For works of service. I like that. This, this next part, though, I'm getting it. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Dave? I'm getting a little feedback. Um, this next part is super cool, too. In verse 12, it says, so, so to equip the people for works of service, that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith. So we're being equipped for these works so that we can be united in the faith. And then this is my favorite part, verse 14. All right, so we're going to skip ahead. Verse 14. Then once this has happened, once we've understand supernatural unity and we've been given these gifts and we use them, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Isn't that kind of a violent image? Can you imagine a little baby just floating in the ocean? Eh. Eh. That's horrific. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown to and fro by every wind and teaching and cunning craftiness. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, so we're growing to become this mature body. You guys know what, what, what most babies don't have? Mature bodies. Now, they have pretty big heads, right? Babies' heads are typically bigger than their bodies. I mean, y'all seen a baby? Uh, anyone got a baby in here? Hold it up so we can see how much bigger. <laughs> that baby over there, that's, that's a pretty good-looking baby right there, but its head is still proportionally bigger than its body, right? Not a knock on your child. That's just babies. And so when, <laughs> is that okay to do? And so when, I mean, especially little babies, right, you know, their heads are not proportional with their bodies typically. And so when he talks about building up the body, what he's talking about is that the body, when he talks about the body, he's talking about us, the body of Christ, the church, that the body would grow to actually look like the head. If Christ is the head and we're the body, an immature church, an immature body of believers is a body that doesn't fit with the head. 
It's like you go to a church and all they preach is law and how angry God is. Well, that's an immature place. Or you go to a church where all they preach is grace and all they say is, oh, you can do whatever you want and it's all good, but that's immature. That's this, people going like this or like this, right? Because their heads are bigger than their body. But what should happen eventually as we grow and as we, as we uh, speak truth and unify and as we really seek to do what God has called us to do, then the body, which is us, actually begins to resemble the head, which is Christ, to a day when actually people see the body, they see the head. We're growing to become the mature body of Christ so that when people see us, they see Christ. Unity is one of the ways we make that happen. And it's not conformity. It's not, see, my, my friend Mark out there wore the same shirt I wore because he thought I meant conformity. <laughs> Unity. Unity is not where everyone looks the same. Unity is where, and believe me, everyone in this, y'all, I'm looking, y'all do not all look the same. There's a lot of differences in this room. But the beauty of God and the kingdom of God is when all these different people with all these different gifts move as one body. I mean, can you imagine... What else other than a miracle could make all of us move together as one body? It's gorgeous, isn't it? When the body actually begins to resemble the head. Verse 17. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way you've learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted. Be made new in the attitude in your minds to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Created to be, read that last part, created to be like, like who? The body is created to be like the head. Paul's saying it, it, you can't live like you used to live. You can't live like you used to live. Well, unfortunately, and guys, some of you know this, I know this, and maybe some of you know this, like after I received Christ, there have been seasons when I tried to go back and live like I used to live. Those seasons always end in pain because you can't go back and live. Matter of fact, let me show you guys something. All Paul is saying is to live, act like you live where you live. Act like you are who you are. Do y'all remember these hula hoops? These are my hula hoops. All right, so let's say this is the world, and let's say this is heaven, and let's say this part in the middle is the overlap. Where do we live? In the overlap. So would it make any sense for us to act like we live here? If we live in the overlap, does it make sense for us to act like we still live in the world? If we live in the overlap, if we're, if we're in between, if we're, if we're in the kingdom of God, if we're in the world but not of the world, does it make any sense for us to act like the rest of the world? You act like you live where you live. Nothing else makes sense. Guys, when I was in high school, um, <laughs> this, is, this is funny to me. I went to PA. Pretty tough school. I don't know if you know about it. I don't know if you heard about it. A lot of tough kids there. Um, Plastic Academy College Preparatory School. Danger. Uh, so I, I was from Ferndale, and all of my friends were from Pleasant Valley. That's where we lived. We dressed like we lived somewhere else. 
Like we would all dress like we were hardcore, you know, like inner city, like we were tough guys and all this stuff. You know, we'd ride around us, doom, doom, we were listening to music like we were hard. You know what we looked like? Idiots. <laughs> we were acting like we were something we weren't. We were, I mean, we were acting like we were going to, you know, do some sort of damage in the world. And then, you know, if someone actually wanted to fight us, it was like, oh my gosh, back, <laughs> back to PA. Like every weekend we would drive around and avoid y'all just to make sure that we made it back to school on Monday. <laughs> It's crazy, but we acted like we were someone we weren't. What Paul is saying is don't be something you're not. Be the new creation you are. Live like this, speak like this, love like this, be humble like this, bear with one another like this. Because nothing else makes sense. Nothing else works for us. I love verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For you're members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing, he said, if you're stealing, if you live in this world, what's he say? Don't, don't do it anymore. Well, that makes sense. If you've been stealing, stop stealing. But work, do something useful with your hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, because that belongs in this world, but only what is helpful to building others up in accordance with their needs. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You were sealed by him for your day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. Guys, this is a really, really simple chapter of Ephesians if we really bullet it down to what it's saying. If you live in this world right here, act like it. If you live in this world, live like you live where you live. And in every one of these things, the gentleness and the humility and the kindness and all these things, well, they all have something in common. To love one another, to be humble, to be gentle, to be kind, what do all those things require? I'll give you a hint, someone else. How hard is it to be gentle, humble, and love one another when I'm by myself? It's really easy. I'm like, oh, you're doing great. Just keep being you, right? But God is calling us to live out this supernatural unity, this mysterious unity with one another. And so that even if we disagree on some non-essential things, like we're going to take communion today, and some of you may have come from a different denomination where you did communion a different way than we did, that's okay, what we unite around here is essential beliefs. What we, what we think matters the most and what gives us the most unity is the fact that we believe that Christ was born of a virgin and that he came to the earth and lived a perfect sinless life and then he died on a cross and he resurrected from the grave. And if you and I can agree on that, then we are brother and sister. Now, if we can't agree on that, then we don't have unity. I know that sounds hard because people think, are we supposed to be united with everybody? No. No, I'm not. I'm united with people who share the essential belief about Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, guys, we left another denomination years back. And people have tried to think we left because of this reason or that reason. We left because there were churches in that denomination that did not share our essential beliefs about the authority of the Bible and the divinity of Christ. I'm not knocking any other denomination, but we could not have unity with that. But we can have unity if we can agree on what's the most important and so, guys, the, the challenge is pretty simple this week. Live like you live where you live, right? 
Don't try to be someone else. This, this old person, it's no longer you. Speak like you live where you live. Be patient like you live in traffic. Oh, no. How hard is that one? At the cafe today, in the way you deal with people who don't believe what you believe, we are a body that should look like the head. And so simply put, live and act like you live where you live. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.